I want you, if you would, to turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. Let's start reading in verse 20. Luke 5, verse 20. This is the men that, the four men that were carrying their friend or their brother on a, basically on a pallet. They couldn't get to Jesus. They wanted him to be healed. They couldn't get to him because of the crowds of people. And so they, uh, they went up on the roof. And I think Alberto talked about this recently in, in prayer. But uh, they took the tiles off the roof. And they lowered this man down right into the presence of Jesus, okay, right before him. And when he saw their faith, when Jesus saw their faith, how many of you know, I say it all the time, faith can be seen, right? Faith without works is dead, but a living faith is going to walk in obedience to the Lord and honor God. And it can be seen, unbelief can be seen as well. And when he saw their faith, he said unto him, the man on the pallet, Man, thy sins are forgiven thee. And the scribes said unto the, and the, and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this which forgiveth, which speaketh blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And when Jesus perceived their thoughts, because they hadn't spoken it out loud, it was in their hearts and minds, he answering said unto them, What reason ye in your hearts? Whether it's easier to say, thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, rise up and walk. But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power upon earth to forgive sins. He saith unto the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, arise, and take up thy couch, and go into thine house. And immediately he rose up before them, and took up that wherein he lay, and departed to his own house, glorifying God. Amen. Glorifying God. We're doing a series right now on Christ, the doctrine of, doctrine of Christ. And I'll say it again. When we talk about the doctrine of Christ, in this sense of what we're talking about, we're not simply talking about Jesus' doctrine, what he taught. That's included as well. And that's all through the Bible. It's all his doctrine. We're talking about the doctrine of Christ, the person of Christ. Who and what was he? Who and what is he? Okay, through this whole study, I think this is, this is the fourth part today. They're all on the YouTube channel. They should be up on the website. If not, they'll be there soon. But all through this series, one thing I'm going to keep, uh, keep exalting and lifting up is the deity of Christ. No matter what our particular sermon is on this particular day, the deity of Christ is everything because Jesus said to his disciples, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Well, some say you're Jeremiah or Elijah or one of the prophets or John the Baptist come back from the dead. And Jesus said, but whom say ye that I am? It doesn't matter what your mom and dad say about Jesus. Who do you say that he is? God doesn't have any grandchildren. He only has children. We have to believe that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God. That was Peter's profession of faith, and that was the the rock upon which Jesus Christ said, I'm going to build my church, that profession of faith. And the gates of hell should not prevail against it. Any other belief lesser or different than that about Jesus Christ will not suffice. It's a belief of your own choosing. It's a Jesus of your own choosing. And it's not a Jesus that's going to get you to heaven or bring you into a right relationship with God. 
We believe that he is the Christ, the son of the living God. We believe he was God in the flesh. For without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. Who was manifest in the flesh? God. How was God manifest? In the flesh. That was God in the flesh. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Amen. So we have to keep before us the deity of Christ. He's not like any other. It's okay that he's not. In fact, it must be that way. If he's God, that he's not like any other. Amen. He stands alone in every capacity, the uncreated God. And we also want to speak of, and we looked at it here just for a snapshot in Luke chapter 5. We want to look, and we're looking at his deity. We have to remember his power. His power. His power that he's almighty God. Amen. He's almighty God. And so we're going to look today at the ministry of Christ, the ministry of Christ. We're not at all going to finish it today. This might be a few weeks on this thought. I'm in no rush. You know, we're going to preach till the, till the rapture until the Lord calls us home. So we're in no rush. I'm going to cover it as God gives it to me. But the ministry of Christ, Jesus said, even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for all. Amen. What are some of the ministries of Christ? Again, we can't cover all these in a day, but just mentioning some. He is the Savior. Jesus Christ alone is the Savior. He's the healer. He's the deliverer. He is the intercessor, our intercessor. He's our high priest. He's our advocate before the Father. He is a soon and coming king. Amen. Think about A.B. Simpson. He, also, he always preached a fourfold gospel, he said. He preached Christ as Savior, as Lord, as healer, and as coming king. That all of his sermons uh, revolved, and without thinking about it, I guess probably that would be the best preaching you could have. Amen. It would be on those topics. But we're going to talk about his ministry today. Okay, remember his deity and remember his power. For in order to G- for Jesus to do and to finish and to continue on the work that he, he, he has to do, he had to be Almighty God. In order for Jesus to do the work that he did and continues to do, he had to be God in the flesh. Unto you, uh, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, right? And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. And the end of it always just blows my mind. Wonderful Counselor, well, I can go with that. The Mighty God, the Everlasting Father. You're telling me this child that's going to be born is the Mighty God. You're telling me this child that's going to be born some 750 years after that prophecy was given is going to be the Everlasting Father? Yes, that's the one. That's the one. Amen. That's the one. And there's not another one. Amen. So remember his Godhead. Remember his deity and his power. No one other than God in the flesh could do the ministry of Jesus. And in this whole study, even when we're finished with it, and however many weeks it's going to be, I don't feel like when we're done, we're going to say, okay, we're done with the doctrine of Christ. It's too big a topic. When I, when I approach this and when I approach the ministry of Christ, I'll be honest, I'm sitting in my office and I'm in it saying, it's too much. Lord, it's too much. It's too much. You know, where do I go with this? And God always gives it to me, but it's just 
this is not the complete works on the doctrine of Christ. This is the ministry, the sermons he's given for our church for this time. Amen. Jesus said, take my yoke and learn of me. So I'm thinking and praying for myself and for you as well, that as we hear these sermons, yes, we're getting a lot of information. We're getting a lot of scriptures. We're getting a lot of thoughts. Most of you know already. But I'm praying that God would use it in our hearts and lives to stir us up to take his yoke and really learn of him beyond and outside of this, this church serve, uh, setting and outside of the, you know, this, the introduction and conclusion of these sermons that God would give us a holy hunger for him to truly come and learn of him. Because if that's done, then hallelujah, um, that's the greatest work that could be done in any sermon. Luke wrote this. I'll just read it from Acts chapter 1-1. The physician, Dr. Luke, who was a believer, the former account or treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began to both to do and to teach. He set out in the book of Acts to write down, and in his gospel, all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. And so we can't possibly cover it all in a few sermons. Amen. But I'll say this in a general sense. Now we're talking about the ministry of Christ today. We've talked about him being the son of God. We've talked about him being the son of man in the second part. And last week we talked about the witness that God has given to bear witness of his son, Jesus. The scriptures, the Holy Ghost, the Father, the Son, the miracles that he did, the work, all bore witness to who he was. The resurrection bore witness. We didn't even talk about the angels or men like John the Baptist and the apostles who bore witness as well. But today we're talking about his ministry. And I would say in a general sense, in the most basic sense, Jesus Christ came to be Savior and Lord. In the most general sense. We'll break it down in the weeks ahead. But Savior and Lord. Um, and in another general sense, there is the work that he did that is finished. And there's the work that he continues to do. There's the work that Jesus did. On the earth, he was only here for a short time, 33 and a half years. And for 30 years of that, he lived in obscurity and didn't have a public ministry. Okay? But there's the work that he did, that he finished, and there's the work that he continues to do at the right hand of the Father on our behalf even now. And so I want you to, to, to turn to, uh, you're in, in Luke, turn to Luke 19. Today, we're talking about this. So if you're taking notes, you want to know specifically what we're talking about in the ministry of Christ. We're talking about him being Savior and Deliverer. Savior and Deliverer. That's what we're talking about, and that's all really we're going to talk about. So he has this encounter with Zacchaeus, right? The wee little man that the kids sing about. Zacchaeus climbed up in the sycamore tree. Luke 19, verses 9 and 10. And Jesus said unto him, this day, the, man, the man's eyes were open, he humbled himself, he repented, he says, I'm going to go back and pay money I've stolen, and I'm going to restore it even above and beyond. And Jesus said unto him, this day is salvation come. What came to his house? Salvation. Jesus is Savior and Lord and Deliverer. This day is salvation come to this house, for as much as he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. Simple truth, but I figure what better place to start in looking at the ministry of Christ than him being Savior. He came to seek and save the lost. You think you're seeking after God. He came seeking you when you were not 
He was not in your thoughts at all or my thoughts. There's none that seeks after God. There's none that does righteousness. There's none that understands. Not one. Not one. So what did he do? He came down to seek after us. He came to seek after us. He came. The Son of Man is come. So what is his ministry? To seek and save the lost. Amen. <clears throat> Jesus told, I mean, I'm sorry, Gabriel told uh, Joseph, don't be afraid to take Mary for your wife to be your wife. She shall bear a son, and thou shall call his name uh, Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Straightforward. I just like things. What is he going to do? He's going to save his people from their sins. Not to wonder about some great mystery and try to figure out why Jesus came to this earth. Christ was manifest in the flesh to be the Savior of the world. He was the Lamb of God, not a Lamb of God. He was the Lamb of God who takes away what? The sins, sin of the world. He was also the Lamb of God who was slain from the foundation of the world. That tells me Jesus coming and dying as the Lamb of God for the sins of the world was not an afterthought. He was the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world. I'm going to read some scriptures. I'll, I'll read them myself. I'll tell you where they're coming from. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 9, 14, and 15. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels. Now, this is important, okay, this next phrase. And that means in his incarnation, okay? That means in his robing himself in flesh. We see Jesus who was made at that time a little lower than the angels. For, that means for a purpose, for the suffering of death. What's all that got to do with that? It has to do with salvation for you and me. For the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, as he is now, that he, by the grace of God, listen, should taste death for every man. He, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. That means all of us sitting in this room. That means people that hadn't been born yet. That means people that have lived and died in years past. That means for people that ended up getting saved and living for God. That means people that died cursing him. He tasted death for every man. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Okay? Jesus had to be fully sinless in order to save men from their sins. I'm telling you things you know, but it's good to hear it. Jesus Christ had to be totally sinless in order to save men from their sins, or people from their sins. In order to be sinless, he had to be God, right? He had to be God because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. He had to be sinless to save us from our sins. In order to be sinless, he had to be fully God. The Bible says, for he, was, he had made him, 2 Corinthians 5, 21, for he had, the Father hath made him his son to be sin for us who knew no sin that we may be made the righteousness of God in him. It's all for us. But what are we talking about? We're talking about Jesus' ministry first and foremost as Savior. Savior from our sins. He came to taste death for every man. Not for his own sake, 
but for our sake. And he did that. What he came to do, he, he came in order to die. And he came in order to die for us, but he died in a special way. He died as the final sufficient sacrifice for the sins of the world. A lot of people have died. When you think about it, a lot of people have died. There have been soldiers that have fought for noble causes for their country and for friends and family and, and country and so forth. There are people that have died and died martyrs' death for causes. That doesn't set Jesus apart as being unique. What sets him apart is that he was the final sufficient sacrifice for the sins of the world. That sets him apart. Among other things that set him apart, that is one of the things that sets him apart. Every word of that is important, amen? What Jesus did, he did for us. I'll read this from Isaiah 53. You know that chapter, Isaiah 53, right? About, I say it all the time, about 750 to 780 years before Jesus ever was born in Bethlehem. That's a long time. This was written, that whole uh, 12 verses, I believe, is about Jesus' first coming and specifically his dying for our sins. So I'll read this from Isaiah 53, 11. He, the, that's the Father, shall see the travail of his soul. The Father's going to see the travail of the soul of his Son. And the Father, he shall be satisfied. This is very important, too. It's not another animal that's given, and then you have to give another animal, and then find a spotless uh, you know, goat or cow or heifer or red heifer or this or that to be offered up without blemish. He's going to see the travail of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. God, God looked at Jesus, and he was satisfied. All those other sacrifices, thousands upon thousands upon thousands, just at the dedication of the temple, Solomon's temple, I forgot how many thousands of animals were offered up. But through the ages, under that system, and they all typified and foreshadowed Christ coming as the Lamb of God. The Lamb of God. And when Jesus saw the Lamb of God in the travail of his soul, he's satisfied. His wrath against sin was satisfied because he put all that wrath upon his son. He put all of our sin upon his son, and he put that wrath upon his son, and it, it did it for him. In other words, that, that's the only thing that could really satisfy that, that satisfy the Father. And he says, he shall bear their iniquities. Amen? He shall bear their iniquities. And so there is the ministry of Jesus that he did, and then there's the ministry that he continues to do. And the ministry that he did is that he died on the cross for our sins. Okay? He, he won't do that again. That's not going to be repeated. It doesn't have to be a redo. Those priests continually, the Old Testament priests, continually offered up sacrifices daily for the sins of the people. And then the annual day of atonement, they would bring the whole nation together and the high priest would go into the, the most holy place and there would be sacrifices offered continually, 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 continually. What Jesus did on the cross is finished. When we take communion, we're not, we're not redoing the sacrifice of Jesus. We're not redoing it. It's not happening all over. This do in remembrance of me. It's in remembrance. 
He did it. It's finished. The Bible says, and what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, weak through our flesh, through the weak link in the chain, I always say, in the law. Well, it never was intended to save. It was intended to point men to Christ. But the weakness of the law that men couldn't keep it, it was weak through the flesh of man. man. But God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law may be fulfilled in, in us, right? Who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. That, that work was done. That work is done. That work is finished. It's like creation. The Bible says that uh, in six days, you know, God spoke and, and made all of creation. Six days. On the seventh day, what did he do? The Bible says he rested. He didn't rest because he was tired. He rested because he ceased because it was finished. He finished it. And when it was over, he rested and said, it's good. Behold, it's very good. It wasn't evolving with, you know, one-eyed frogs or something like this from a slime pit it was done and he says be fruitful and multiply right and so uh it was finished the work of creation original creation that's done he spake and it was done he commanded and it stood fast the bible says bam he says let there be light there was light right and so he created all things that's finished and also the the work to be the propitiation for the sins of the world that is done. Doesn't mean everybody's saved. Doesn't mean the work of salvation uh, of God still saving people is done. It means the work that had to be done is finished and won't be repeated again. There's not another lamb that has to be offered. There's no more blood that has to be shed for the atonement of man's sins. We are to believe, receive, amen, fall upon that rock, that stone which the builders rejected. But that work is finished. What is propitiation? Because that's a biblical word. And I don't think we'd ever use it in any other circumstance. The propitiation means an atoning victim. An atoning victim, like a sacrifice that atoned, right? He was a victim. But it's not like we feel sorry for Jesus, but the he was the victim. He took the sins upon himself that were not his own. I want to read this. You know it that when Jesus received the vinegar, this is on the cross, John 19, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. We're talking about the, his work as Savior, but specifically here, the work that's finished. The work that's finished. He bowed his head, gave up the ghost, and said, it is finished. Well, what did he mean by that? Well, there's a Greek word, teleo, and the Greek word there means to end, to complete, to conclude, to, to accomplish, to fill up, to make an end, to expire, to perform, to pay a debt. It's pretty, pretty descriptive, right? And it all means the same thing. It's finished. It's finished. It's finished. The work on the cross. Jesus does not have to do that again. He's not being offered up, and we're seeing the actual flesh and blood every time we take communion or something like that. It is finished. It is done. People are still being saved. The work of salvation in that sense, God's still saving men, but the price that had to be paid has been paid. It's not being paid over and over again. The off sacrifice that had to be made has been made. It's not being made over and over again. I'll read a couple more scriptures because this is very important because there is, there are other beliefs about this, but the other beliefs don't hold water because we go to the Bible to find our answers. 
Jesus said it's finished. That's what that word means. I just defined it. Hebrews 9, 12. Hebrews talks a lot about it. Neither by the blood of goats and of calves, but by his own blood he entered in once. This is a key word that we're going to repeat. By his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained, that's past tense, eternal redemption for us. Another scripture, Hebrews 7, 27, who needeth not daily as those high priests, the Levitical high priests, to offer up sacrifice, not daily, first for his own sins and then for the people's, for this he did once. He did it. We're talking about sins. We're talking about offering up sacrifice for sins of man. How often did Jesus do it? This he did once when he offered up himself. The father shall see the travail of his son's soul and be satisfied. He's going to bear their iniquity. And that'll do it. That'll do it. One death. Jesus' death. Amen. One, one time to go to the cross. Romans 6, 9, and 10. Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more. We've got to write these scriptures down and know them because we have people that are in, in darkness to other beliefs about this. Okay? Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Hallelujah. A couple more scriptures here real quickly. Hebrews 9, 28. So Christ was once offered. You know, the Lord doesn't mince words. He puts words there for a reason. And three times just in Hebrews so Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. Amen? 1 Timothy 4.10 So therefore we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially of those who believe. I, I wanted to read that scripture because it's important to know there's not another Savior besides Jesus. He's the Savior of all men. You say, well, what about the Muslims? What about the Hindus? What about the atheists? What about the humanists and the agnostic? What about the, all these others uh, that want nothing to do with the Bible? He's still the, their Savior. In other words, he's still the Savior of the world. That includes them. But they haven't received him as Savior. There's not another Savior, is my point. They can be lost and go to hell, and he's still the Savior of the world because there's not another one, Right? He says he's the savior of all men, says in, he, in 1 Timothy 4.10, especially to those that believe. I'm not saying all men are, are saved. We know that they're not. I'm saying there's not another savior besides Christ. He is the savior for all men. So if you're going to be saved, you're going to come to him. And you have to believe. Jesus said, uh, well, it says in the Old Testament, Isaiah I am the Savior, I am the Lord. He says, besides me, there is no Savior. Peter said before the, the religious, the council, he says, for there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. There's not another. There's not another. He is the Savior of all men. So I want to say that, that uh, the Lord is still saving people. When I say that his work was finished on the cross, that work was finished, dying for the sins of the world, bearing the sins of the world, dying as the Lamb of God, and finishing that work. That was finished at Calvary. Amen? That was finished at Calvary. But he's still saving people and delivering people today, but the work 
has been done. The work has been done. That's what Philippians chapter 2 talks about when he says he humbled himself, took upon the form of a servant, right, and made in the likeness of men, humbled himself and became obedient unto death. That's past tense. That's done. Even the death on the cross. Wherefore God also, he's not on a cross anymore. He's not in a tomb anymore. He's not in a grave. He doesn't have to repeat that. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and that's at the ascension, and given him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus Christ every knee should bow of things in heaven, things in earth, things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So that work is done. That humility, willing humility on his part to, to take upon him the form of sinful man, that is finished. It's been done. The price has been paid. The sacrifice has been made. And all this, y'all, is a result of our sin. So what's the point of all this? It's no big deal. It's just some bloody religion. It really has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with you. It has everything to do with you. Jesus died for our sins. He died, whether you believe in him or ever give your life to him or not, he died on Calvary for your sins and for my sins. Amen? Wherefore, as by one man, that's Adam, sin entered into the world. And what came by that? And death by sin. So death was passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. We say that has nothing to do with me either. It has everything to do with you. As by one man, sin entered, entered into the world, and death by sin, so death was passed upon all men, because all men have sinned. We're all sinners, and he had to come to save sinners. Amen? It's a result of sin. The wages of sin is death. Jesus came to save men from sin and deliver them from the power of sin and death. Jesus told Nicodemus, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, it's a, a like, it's a simile, it's a picture, it's a type. As Moses lifted up the serpent. You know that story in the Old Testament when the people were dropping dead? And the plague had already started among the people because of their rebellion. God says, Moses, you tell Aaron to go make a, 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 a brazen serpent. Or Moses made it and put it up on top of a stick. People were getting bitten by serpents and dying in the camp. It was a judgment of God for the rebellion and unbelief. And so he puts this serpent on the stick and lifts it up. And it says all that it made a breach between or a break between the living and the dead. The plague stopped right there. Whoever looked upon that serpent, that's doing nothing. That's not a work. All I had to do is look upon. We're to look upon him who's been pierced. We're to look upon Jesus Christ by faith. Look unto me and be saved. As the, Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever what believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. What is that serpent that's biting us? It's sin. It's our own sin and the consequences of our own sin. The wages of sin is death. Jesus said, uh, took the man, he says, he commanded him, of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. Again, no, no a vague picture words that they're unsure. Well, I didn't know it would be like this. He told them, the day you eat of it, you're going to die. Jesus came to save sinners. 
and to rescue us from the consequences of sin. Amen? So that work, I want to read this. That work as far as being lifted up was my point of Jesus being lifted up on the cross. Like Moses lifted the serpent. That's finished. I know I'm being repetitive, but that does not have to be done again. That will not be done again. And it would be a gross error on our part to believe that that's an ongoing thing that continues to happen. It is not. It is finished. The first creed of Christianity talks about we believe that Christ died for our sins. The fact that he died is mentioned 175 times in the New Testament. 175 times that Jesus died. That's a pretty established fact, okay? But it's also um, that we know he suffered under Pontius Pilate and so forth, that he was crucified, dead, and buried. But also what we need to remember is it was for a purpose. I said martyrs die all the time. People die accidental deaths. People die deaths when they didn't want to die. People die martyrs' deaths where they choose to die for a cause, but there was a purpose to his death, and it was for our sins. And nobody else ever died for our sins. Nobody else ever died for our sins. So there are those that might believe he died, but they just say he was a martyr. He was a good man trying to teach us a better way. But the fact of Scripture is very clear. Christ died for one purpose, to provide a perfect salvation for a sin, sinful world. That's the purpose. Let's keep it real simple. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief, Paul said. Why did he come to this world? He came to save sinners. Amen? I want to bring this on. Uh, By faith in Jesus Christ, men receive salvation. By the grace of God, on his part is grace, on our part is faith and believing, right? What comes to us by faith is grace, and what comes to us specifically in our salvation, and, and this won't even cover it, but I want to just mention this. He came to save sinners. So a sinful person believes in Jesus and his finished work on the cross and gives their life to Christ. What comes to that man or that woman or that young person? Eternal life, abundant life. Forgiveness of sin, the righteousness of Christ, which comes by faith. Justification, indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Men become partakers of the divine nature. You know, people are pursuing after all types of power, the New Age uh, and and, uh, the uh, Scientology and the New Age and these things where people are are pursuing after they they want to tap into something uh, supernatural, the God, the God, the force, whatever they might call it. But what comes to us as being born again by foot, putting faith in Jesus Christ, we become partakers or partners of His divine nature. We know we don't become God, but the Bible says, "For as He is, so are we in this world." These are some pretty amazing scriptures when you think about it. What did I have to do to to receive that? I had to believe in Jesus. Believe in the Jesus of the Bible. To believe the the record that God has given of his son. 
we become partakers of his divine natures. Heirs with God and joint heirs with Christ. We become the sons and daughters of God. We become ministers of reconciliation. Saved men are now accepted in the beloved. We weren't before. What were we before? Very clearly the scripture said we're enemies of God. The Bible says you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Your own trespasses and sins and my own trespasses and sin. We're accepted in the beloved. We pass from death to life. We're new creatures in Christ. It, and I'm just going to stop. I'm writing my notes here and I said it truly is a great, such a great salvation. We can't, I can't even finish it this morning. Okay, But the point is that it is so great a salvation. And Jesus Christ came to be Savior. What is the ministry of the Lord? He came to be Savior, among other things. And going hand in hand with this, and we're going to close with this, this thought this morning. Just this morning, we're talking about his ministry as Savior and Deliverer. Savior and Deliverer. And they, to me, they go hand in hand. And I believe in the Bible, they go hand in hand. He's the Savior of the world to save us from our sins. But he is also our Deliverer and the only Deliverer from sin and its power, and from the stronghold of the enemy on our lives. He is the deliverer from the power of sin and of death. It says in Isaiah, and it's quoted in Romans 11, I'll just read it, there shall come out of Zion the deliverer. There's the deliverer. You know, you read in the Old Testament, in the book of Judges especially, uh, there was no king at that time. Every, every man did what was right in their own eyes, and Israel would continual backsliding state and God would let a nation come and because of their rebellion and sin and idolatry worshiping the pagan gods it told them God told them not to worship when you get to the promised land they did it anyway and and in their rebellion he wasn't done with them he would let them come under bondage to the Philistines or Amorites or somebody at this particular time who would treat them roughly and cruelly and then they would cry out God we, we sin, forgive us, help us, deliver us. And he would send to deliver like Samson or Gideon or people like this. Those were deliverers. And it was just for a, a moment, and, and they would, as long as that deliverer like Gideon lived, maybe the people would serve God pretty faithfully. When they would die off, the people would go back to their sin. That was pretty much the, the pattern. But in Romans, it says, there shall come out of Zion the deliverer. There's, there's the deliverer. Amen. Who's coming, who has come. And so Savior and Deliverer go together. I want to just read this from Luke chapter four. Jesus, he's, he's, he's gone up and been tempted in the wilderness 40 days and nights. He was, we know this, that, that account. He comes back and returns in the power of the spirit when that's over. Had a great victory, uh, really, in triumphing over Satan's will for his life at that time. And he comes and he goes into the synagogue and he picks up the, the Bible and he begins to read publicly in the synagogue. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance, deliverance to the captives. And recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. And so he came to be our deliverer. And I already read this earlier but he says he came that he might destroy him that had the power of death that is the devil this is from Hebrews 2 and to deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage 
That's every human being, every single human being. You might not think about it all the time, but there's somewhere in there the fear of death, and there's a fear of death because of sin. Well, death, where is thy victory, right? Grave, where is your, your sting? The strength of, of uh, the sting of death is sin. The thing that makes death, death, and painful is sin. And that sin is removed, then we just pass from death to life. We just go be with the Lord. But Jesus came to deliver them who all their lifetime were subject to bondage. Bondage of sin. Jesus told the, the Jews in his day in John chapter 8, he that sins is the servant of sin. He came to set us free from sin. Don't just think it's just, well, I just believed and, and everything was wonderful. We need to understand what has taken place for us in Christ, what he saved us from and delivered us from. Behold, the eye of the Lord is upon them that fear him, upon them that hope in his mercy to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. I will love thee, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress, my deliverer. My God, my strength in whom I will trust, my buckler in the horn of my salvation and my high tower. I'll call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. Savior and deliverer, the Bible says. He's Savior and deliverer. And so God delivers men from all kinds of things. We don't have time to get into it. What does he deliver us from? Well, many are the, tr the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth him out of them all. The psalmist said, have you ever been delivered from an affliction by God, a trouble, something that was too great for you, something that you couldn't handle, something that you couldn't uh, extract yourself from? God had to do it. He delivers us. He delivers us from all kinds of things, troubles, afflictions, famines, uh, floods of ungodly men. He delivers us from the mouth of the lions. He delivers from the Delivers us from the snare of the fowler. He delivers us from enemies that are too strong for us. He does it all the time. All the time. People that are faithful to him and even sometimes that aren't faithful to him. But primarily, Jesus came to deliver us from sin. Save us from sin and deliver us from sin's power. Okay? Deliver us. There's a power to sin. That's what a lot, a lot of people, I say young people, Young people, but really all people, they're kind of oblivious. They, sin is some bad things we do. That's what they think. Murder, sin, rape, uh, armed robbery. These are crimes. There are sins as well. You know, drunkenness. And, and we go on. These are sins. And they are sins. But there's a power to sin. There is a power to sin. And there's a deceitfulness to sin that doesn't let you see its power. The Bible talks about it. So you think it's a fun thing and I can take it or leave it as I want. And I can always step back out of it when I want to. But you can't. Maybe some particular habits you can't. But sin as a whole gets a grip and there's a stronghold of sin. You cannot just do what you want and play with it and drop it when you want to without the power of God. Jesus came to save us and deliver us from sin. There is a stronghold to sin. There is a power of sin and a grip. There is a bondage to sin that's very evident in scriptures. And if we're honest with ourselves, we've seen it in our own life. There are eternal consequences to sin, which we've talked about. So God came to save us from our sin. And I put these hand in hand and to deliver us from sin's power and also to deliver us from the snare of the fowler. Who's our fowler, so to speak? The word Satan means adversary. That's what it means. 
okay? We have an adversary. We have an advocate, Christ Jesus the righteous. We have a friend. We have a Lord. We have a Savior. We have a deliverer. But we have an enemy. He's the enemy of your souls. He came to steal, kill, and destroy. And he's walking about through this earth with a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour, whom we're told to resist steadfastly in the faith. Okay? And so we have an adversary. A couple more scriptures before I close. If you have your Bibles, I want to turn to this one. Colossians chapter 1. I know it's a lot of information, y'all. It's a lot going out at one time. If you ever want to just go back and get the scriptures from me, I'll be glad to give them from me. If you want to re-listen to it a little slower, take notes. Um, Colossians chapter 1, verse 12. Giving thanks unto the Father, which has made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Just in those three verses, it talks about him being savior from sin and delivered from the power of darkness. Sin and death and darkness all go hand in hand. Unbelief and sin and darkness and death. That's the wrath of God that abides on people who are outside of Christ, who could be in Christ at any moment, but have chosen up to this point not to be. Okay, but when we say I do to the Lord and we come into that relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, washed in the blood of Jesus, along with that forgiveness and cleansing also comes a deliverance. He literally like we're not condemned anymore. We're justified. But besides that, we're picked up out of it. We're in that kingdom. And now we're in this kingdom. Still walking around in this world filled with sinful people, but I'm not part of it anymore. We've been translated from the kingdom of darkness and delivered into the kingdom of his dear son, delivered from this power of darkness. Paul said, who delivered us from so great a death and does deliver, in whom we trust that he will yet deliver us. Isn't that wonderful? He's Savior and Deliverer. So I'm going to close with this thought, y'all, that not only did, when the, in, in salvation, not only, he does these things, but he doesn't only do these things. Not only, in salvation, not only is the, the comer to the Lord, the new believer, not only are we forgiven of our sins and cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's a very real thing. I know it's spiritual, but it's real. We're cleansed by the blood of Jesus, and our sin-stained hearts are not sin-stained anymore. But besides being forgiven and cleansed and saved for all eternity... We have been delivered from the power of sin. He did not just save you and forgive you. He saved you and forgave you and took you out of the power and stronghold of sin. Sin shall not have dominion over you, the Bible says. But God be thanked that you were servants of sin, but you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered unto you. Being made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. Amen? The servants of righteousness. The Bible says, for the law of life, of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made us free from the law of sin and death. So there's a deliverance. I, I, I can't stress it enough. That, that is needed. 
What if he said you're forgiven, you're cleansed, and then three seconds later you fell right back into sin and had no power to walk uprightly before the Lord? What if sin still has, you're forgiven, everything you've ever done wrong is forgiven, and for that second he cleanses you and washes you, but you had no power to walk in victory over that sin, and you're just, the next breath, you're right back in it. But he didn't leave us like that. He saved me from my sin. He saved me from my sin. He forgave me. And this is where the deliverer comes in. He delivered me from sin. I'm going to close with this. Indeed, you can come. Who is he that cometh from Edom with dyed garments from Bosra? This that is glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength. I that speak in righteousness, mighty to save. That's the Lord. He's mighty to save. Amen. He's mighty to save. When the three Hebrews and when the three Hebrew boys refused to bow to the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up, said, our God can deliver us from the fire. We know he's going to deliver us from your hands, O king. Either way, we're not going to bow. Threw him in the fire. We know the story. Nebuchadnezzar looks in. He says, there's a fourth man that looks like the son of God. And that the fire had no hurt upon them. Nebuchadnezzar spake and said, blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who had sent his angel and delivered his servants that trusted in him and have changed the king's word and yielded their bodies that they might not serve nor worship any God except their own God because there is no other God that can deliver after this sort. Hallelujah. We're going to close with that. There's no other God that can deliver like our God. Jesus Christ in his ministry, first and foremost, we're focusing and looking at today, he is Savior. Savior from sin, and he is deliverer in the same breath. Savior and deliverer from sin. He breaks the power and the bondage of sin to where we're li- we have liberty. He that the Son is set free is free indeed, right? Stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ has made you free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. So he's already made me free, and I can walk in that day by day by faith. If we walk in the Spirit, amen. We won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Y'all stand with me.